This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show, and we welcome back to our show for this special edition of The Reverend and the Rabbi, Carol Bull, who is the pastor at the United Church of Ware, and Justin David, who is a rabbi at Congregation B'nai Israel in Northampton. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much for being with us this day before Thanksgiving and or a National Day of Mourning. But let's start with something that is uplifting, if we can, and I'm sure we can, which is the front page story on today's Daily Hampshire Gazette about Monty Belmonte and his marchers and this community having raised about $500,000, $482,000 at the end of the march yesterday in Greenfield. There'll be another oh, sum of money that will come in. It's $500,000, give or take. So congratulations to Monty, congratulations to the marchers, and I think congratulations to the community for saying hunger is unacceptable here in our community. I'd appreciate uh, your perspective on this. Let's start with you, Pastor Carol Bull. Uh, yeah, so huge kudos and shout outs to Monty and everyone who participated in the walk. I was driving to my church yesterday and I passed them on the street as they were headed to the bridge and I just got this wave of inspiration and hope and love and care actually. So. Um, and I was saying, I hope to do that walk someday. I've done the walk for hunger in Boston a bunch of times and that with little kids in strollers. And uh, that was that was quite a bit of work, too. So this is, you know, it's a big, big it's a ritual that he's undertaken and along with the community. And what an amazing, amazing gift to the world at this time. Right. Monty's March is now a teenager. This was the 13th. No longer those awkward tween years. This is maturation of a sort. Uh, of course, Monty, I don't know, is the epitome of maturation given his Elvis Presley costume. But uh, hey, uh, as costumes go, this was, you know, it's not the most outrageous thing Monty's ever worn for the march. Let me go to Rabbi Justin David. Your thoughts? Well, it's slightly sugar. <laughs> yeah, just slightly. <laughs> but, but people like that. Um, I, I, I think it's absolutely... Brilliant. I think there's, there should be some enterprising graduate student who writes a thesis on Monty's March and why it works so well. And I think among the reasons are that um, it strikes a profoundly human chord um, that, that ignites people's sense of love and care and also desire to fight against injustice because it's not just, it's not merely about raising money for the food bank, which itself is really a, a sacred thing, but it's about calling attention to food insecurity and the way in which uh, Monty has been able to engage so many different players in our communal life over the years, I think shows the way in which we are all inherently connected. Um, so it's um, really, really an extraordinary event and, and, uh, and Monty through his character and spirit uh, and mostly Mishagas has um, uh, inspired Mishagas, has uh, really uh, created something very, very deeply moving. My only regret was that this year I couldn't walk at all. Some uh, years I've been able to do one day, some days a half day, uh, some years a half day, perhaps next year I'll do the whole thing and um, maybe even beat Monty to the finish line. <laughs> there were some interesting discussions yesterday about who's in the front and who's in the back and then Monty, as he went up Amity Hill and Amherst said, 
I've just discovered if I stop, if I happen to be in the front of the line, the line comes to me, which is a resolution to the problem we're having on how to get Congressman McGovern back up to the microphone. It was actually really inspiring. They were they were in great spirits. They were very funny, and they raised a lot of money. I mean, this is two million meals, and which is yeah. inspiring. It's also kind of depressing that we need to have two million meals. It's a necessity for two million meals for people here in our communities who are hungry, don't know where right. the next meal is coming from, suffer from food insecurity. So that's depressing, but it's inspiring at the same time to say that in this community, that is not acceptable for people to be hungry, for kids to go for hungry. Sure. And so it's the yin and the yang of it. Um, I'd, I'd like to ask you both, uh, Reverend Carol Bull and Rabbi Justin David, uh, a, a bit more about that. Uh, it's uh, Thanksgiving for many people tomorrow. There will be many families coming together in joyous, in joyous celebrations uh, it is also a time where, well, others would say and many say it is a national day of mourning given the colonialism and the destruction of uh, uh, Native cultures and people uh, who that happened here with the colonialism that was imposed from Europe. And there is another uh, sort of polar opposites going on here at the same time that we have so much to be thankful for here in particular. We also are a day, just days away from a ma another mass murder at an LGBTQ bar, this time in Colorado Springs. And I would appreciate your perspective on how we reconcile these polar opposites. What do we do with that in our psyches, in our spirit? Let me start with you, Rabbi Justin David. Well, I, I don't think there's any kind of easy reconciliation. Um, you know, um, You know, the, just to start with, just to start with the theme of the, the day of Thanksgiving, um, the the story. You know, I, I I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on the history of it, but I believe Thanksgiving was a holiday enacted during the Lincoln administration, right? And that its origins, uh, going back to the Pilgrims and their, you know, fictitious and the fiction of the uh, of the amicable meal they shared with uh, the natives of the time, right? That, that that was completely woven out of whole cloth. So we have a story that's that's created to, you know, to, um, to, I don't know what, but to um, sort of create a picture of, of kind of our national story and how uh, at the time white people would see, uh, see ourselves in that national story. Um, I think if we take that story away, uh, of course, the picture becomes much more complicated. Um, part of that complication is that uh, we have this day when when work stops, right? When the great machine of capitalism for, for many of us, although certainly not all of us, uh, takes a pause and we actually have the opportunity to spend time with family and people we love. And that's unequivocally um, a great blessing. And, um, and we should have more time like that in our society to gather around, to make a meal, to appreciate each other and, and what we have in our lives, the ability to overcome. Um, 
and part of that is, uh, and we need that if we're going to um, open our minds and hearts to the dimensions of the violence and tragedy that occurs in our midst um, daily. Um, and so I, I, I would think it would be completely appropriate if we're taking moments to gather with people to um, reflect on the violence in Colorado Springs. And there's, and there's so much to, to take in. There's you know, the unspeakable tragedy of the loss. There was a great act of heroism um, by, by the men who, who subdued the shooter. Um, there's even kind of um, the, the social change in Colorado Springs, right? Which used to be, once used to be a bastion of homophobic um, activism and may still be in some ways. Um, and yet the civic government of Colorado Springs and, the, and parts of the culture have changed. The local community has embraced um, people who've been affected by the bombing. Local churches and houses of worship or having healing services. Um, you know, my, uh, I have a son who goes to Colorado College, which is in Colorado Springs. And it's, you know, it's, it's actually the second largest city in Colorado. But, um, you know, if you were to go- it's also, downtown, Isn't it also home to the Air Force uh, Academy? It's home to the Air Force Academy. It's home to uh, a number of um, institutions of higher learning. And it's actually home to very conservative think tanks as well. But, but nevertheless, the, the culture in downtown that, that I've noticed is one that kind of feels like downtown Northampton. You see a, you know, a lot of the same signs, a lot of the same values projected. Um, there was a city councilor interviewed in the New York Times um, who has um, really affirmed uh, his support for the LGBTQ community and really creating a sense of common engagement here. Um, so, so I, I think I think having this time away from the um, regular rhythm of our lives is precisely the moment to let in the full dimensions of what's happened and the complications and um, you know the the contradictions uh, of our national narrative and how we're you know and how some of us are trying to change that in this time. Rabbi Justin David, I thank you for those thoughts. Let me share with you what I did uh, uh, scroll up on my screen while you were talking about Thanksgiving. In 1939, President Franklin D. Roosevelt changed, changed Thanksgiving from the last Thursday in November to the second to last Thursday. It was the tail end of the Depression, and Roosevelt's goal was to create more shopping days before Christmas and to give the economy a boost. So I think that's interesting. I also want to uh, talk more about the nightclub shooting and the piece in today's New York Times. But let me turn first to Pastor Carol Bull from the United Church of Where. Your thoughts, Carol Bull. Yeah, there's there's so many directions we could go in our conversation. I'm going to lift up uh, your, your version of tomorrow, uh, National Day of Mourning. I was able to be on a uh, presentation by the NDN Collective this week who put on a, uh, it's an indigenous group, they put on a Rethinking Thanksgiving from land acknowledgement to land back movement. Uh, and it was a tremendously poetic and beautiful experience to be on that, on that, uh, live, that, that event. 
Um, and they can be found on, they're a South Dakota-based group, and they can be found uh, on the internet under NDN Collective. And of course, we have our own Massachusetts indigenous organizations as well. Uh, but one of the things, there was a young man there who called himself, uh, he said, he's a, he helps with LGBTQI plus information. And he said, I'm, I'm a big brown Navajo man. He said he's over six feet tall. Uh, he talked about um, that the Thanksgiving to, to him is a racist holiday. He said we, he gave a number of indigenous uh, translations of those words. And one of them he said was, um, uh, we don't say Thanksgiving, we say no thanks. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities for us to keep learning about issues of indigenous culture and viewpoints of the land back movement is a national movement now there's play there's a place in um tully valley new york where they're getting back a thousand and twenty three acres that's within our driving range new york city has some urban new york city and on the west coast they have some urban land back uh things going on. So I just want to alert ourselves to, to this movement and these organizations going forward uh, to learn from. And, and we have a lot to do in where actually, uh, but you know, it's, it's one day at a time with my congregation and we have some people in our congregation who have some indigenous roots. So one, uh, one thing at a time there. Um, and as to the, I haven't, uh, the past couple days, I haven't been reading the newspapers. I've been reading some really good books. One of them's on ritual, and I want to suggest it to Monty as a way, as something to read when he's soaking his feet. Uh, it's a really interesting book, and it talks about how when a, a large group of people are focusing in on one thing, whether it's a walk or in a religious service or other places, um, their hearts and their blood pressure, all their, they all start to synchronize together biologically, this gentleman has, has figured out. So the power of ritual is, is uh, for mind, body, and soul, and uh, so grateful that it's being done in so many places. Well, Carol Bull and Justin David, we are grateful that you are with us this morning. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk more about Thanksgiving and ritual and that nightclub shooting too, because we need to do that. We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns. We need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to you know, elicit fear and power and control by white supremacists. And it's not an issue that's going away easily. 101.5, 1400 and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Hello, this is Linda DeGillis, Vice President and Trust Officer at Greenfield Savings Bank Wealth Management and Trust Services. Many of our customers are surviving spouses who have found themselves suddenly in charge of their household's financial savings and investments, which had previously been handled exclusively by their late spouse. A number of our female customers have told us that one of the reasons they moved their accounts to GSB Wealth Management and Trust Services was because they felt patronized or talked down to by their spouse's financial advisor. At GSB Wealth Management and Trust Services, our team of professionals will always treat you with respect and compassion. If you are looking for portfolio management, estate settlement services, or trust services, please call us, Greenfield Savings Bank Wealth Management and Trust Services, at 413 775 
413-775-8335. That's 413-775-8335. Or stop into any GSB office or contact us online through the Wealth Management section at greenfieldsavings.com. Thank you. We all know how food insecurity affects families all over the Pioneer Valley. That's why the United Way of Pioneer Valley is asking all of us to be extra generous this year on Giving Tuesday, November 29th. Your Giving Tuesday gift will help the United Way's Feed a Family Fund keep giving essential food supplies to those in need right here in the Pioneer Valley. This year's effort will not only help feed families here at home, but also families in Puerto Rico affected by Hurricane Fiona. So this Giving Tuesday, November 29th, give generously to the United Way of Pioneer Valley so they can continue the important work they do all year long. Shop local and handmade this weekend at the Snow Farm Second Sale in Williamsburg, Mass. See work from over 200 artists in glass, ceramics, clothing, jewelry, and more, all at great prices. The artists may think they're seconds, but you'll never know. Do good with your shopping. Support Snow Farm scholarships and the artists. The Snow Farm Second Sale, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from 10 to 4 in Williamsburg. Reserve a spot time in advance to limit large groups. For more details, go to snowfarm.org. Are you an educator? Want to be more confident teaching about environmental issues? The Hitchcock Center for the Environment in Amherst offers hundreds of curriculum units, lesson plans, classroom activities, and professional development workshops for K-12 teachers. Come check us out. The Hitchcock Center, 845 West Street in Amherst. For more information, visit hitchcockcenter.org. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Pastor Carol Bull, who is the pastor at the United Church of Ware, and Rabbi Justin David from Congregation B'nai Israel in Northampton. We continued our conversation during the break, and Carol Bull, you referenced the column that was written by Reverend Andrea Vazian that appeared in, I believe, it was last Saturday's Daily Hampshire Gazette, in which she noted things that she was thankful for. And I'd appreciate it, particularly for those of our listeners who would like to remember reading that and or did not have the opportunity to have you share some of that with us and your reflections on what Reverend Andrea Vazian said. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's my pride and delight to be able to hold up my mentor, Andrea Vazian, uh, and former pastor of mine, and uh, allowed me to be at the uh, church in Springfield uh, for my internship. She was one of the people who helped me get that internship. Oh, the old, Alden say, Baptist Church? Yeah, Alden Baptist Church, yep, in, Spring, in Springfield. That's where I did my internship for ordination, and um, it was a life-changing event. Um, I'm just going to read a couple of her paragraphs. They're all beautiful. Um, and I'll start with uh, the reference to Monty's March. I'm grateful for the wildly successful, creative, and fabulous all community events that raise funds, friends, and consciousness, such as Monty's March, Safe Passages Hot Chocolate Run, and the Center for New Americans 30 Poems in November. And then I am grateful that more and more children and adults know the true story of Thanksgiving and approach the holiday with reverence for our native siblings. Another one, I'm grateful for every single square inch of Look Park. I am grateful for the beautifully run drive-through flu shot clinics in October at Smith Volk. 
And I am grateful to everyone who voted and grateful that local poll workers showed up for work and were faithful and brave. I am grateful that there was no red wave as predicted. I am grateful for democracy, fragile though it is. And lastly, I am grateful that Ukrainian President Zelensky is steely, smart, strategic, and steady. He is courageous in the face of a terrible tyrant, compassionate with the Ukrainian people, and showing remarkable stamina and strength as Russia's vicious war of aggression drags on. Well, I would like to turn to this question of Ukraine because on this day, at this time, in this week, there is a brutal war ongoing. And the front page of the New York Times today has an in-depth story about how Russia still controls 20% of the landmass of Ukraine and that this war, particularly as it, as it moves into the winter months in Ukraine, is going to be particularly vicious and hard, and there will be continued bloodshed of enormous magnitude, and civilians will continue to die, and soldiers will continue to die, and there is no end in sight for this war. And here we are uh, in relative uh, wealth and peace here in the United States, and I still try to wrap my mind around how we reconcile these things. And I'm, so I'm wondering what your thoughts are with regard to the war. And let me ask you, Rabbi Justin David. Um, you know, I, it's, yeah, I've been able to do some travel internationally over the past year. And I, what among the many things that made an impression on me was how, uh, this war striking a chord around the world. Um, I mean, obviously you, you read it on, you know, on the front page of the New York Times, and you see how world leaders are responding to it. But people in in places I've been to, um, in England and Israel and the West Bank, uh, you know, everyone is is um, uh, empathizing and admiring the um, the resilience and the fortitude of of the Ukrainian people. And um, but but as Andrea mentioned. Uh, gratefulness for protecting our democracy, I can't help but wonder um, to what extent um, certain forces in our own society, certain political forces in our own society are um, implicated in the war of Ukraine, in the war in Ukraine, in cozying up to Vladimir Putin. Um, and not just, you know, from 2016, but from before. And, um, and it, it's, um, you know that that's you know truly, I mean that's that's something I find greatly disconcerting, um, and um, you know and and I wonder, uh, you know as as resolute and how remarkable the response of Ukraine has been, um, I I wonder about uh, sort of the inscrutability of of Putin's goals, right? Is he willing to uh, just continue to sacrifice his own people and resources just to keep this war ongoing and dragging it out uh, as a kind of 
uh, war of attrition, uh, attrition on both sides, but he at this point stands to lose nothing. Um, and um, Except some, some tens of thousands of uh, Russian soldiers uh, who will right, die. Right, but he doesn't seem to care. Even as public, even as a pub, public opinion turns against him, he appears to be insulated from all that. So I, I wonder just how this is going to unfold. I'm not going to pretend to be able to read the tea leaves and predict anything. I mean, no one really can. But I, I'm, I can't recall in my own lifetime a leader who has been so um, unbelievably insulated from the suffering, uh, not only of millions of people, but to the people he's actually accountable to. Let's have a final word from Pastor Carol Bull. Yeah, so as a person who strives to be nonviolent and thought, word, and deed, which is a full days of activities, um, I would like to say in the, in the words of James Lawson, uh, you know, the United States is the, the most violent nation ever on the planet. Um, and uh, you can tune in to him to get more on that. Uh, but there's, I also thought of the Neil's song, uh, Tyrants Always Fall. Um, and it's a wonderful song. If you ha haven't seen it, listen to it daily. Um, and also Gandhi's words. Uh, and he approached uh, the British government as my friends, comma, the enemy. Uh, so we have to always have that love and friendship in our hearts as we go out to do peacemaking. And something struck me from the, the cover of the New York Times Magazine this past week. This is a time of destruction, and it also needs to be a time of rebuilding. So we all have to be continually involved with rebuilding. As long as we are invoking the New York Times today, I'd like to go back and reference the opinion page that has a long piece by uh, Lauren Howe, H-O-U-G-H, who's an essayist, and the title of this piece is This Holiday I'm Going to a Gay Bar. And I would recommend to all of our listeners that you read it. The penultimate paragraph says this. It's a deeply moving, I think, and disturbing piece. He says this, or she says this, they say this. We protect ourselves. We'll fight for our own. We always have. We'll mourn. We'll raise money. We'll organize. And we'll keep fighting until all of us are safe everywhere. Maybe we can leave it on that optimistic note or semi-optimistic note for this uh, day of mourning, this day of Thanksgiving, this opportunity that we have to feel and to share and to be with each other and to try to reconcile the unreconcilable in our lives. Rabbi Justin David, Pastor Carol Bull, thank you very much for this special edition of The Reverend and the Rabbi. We appreciate you. We are grateful for you as being important parts of our community and being fighters for peace and justice. Thank you both so very much. And Happy holiday, happy times with your families. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Carol. Thank you, Bill, very much for your beautiful words.
This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Northampton celebrated solar installments at three Northampton elementary schools yesterday. The school department is expected to reduce 15% of its total electric usage, which ends up being thousands of dollars per year on energy. The plan is to eventually equip the fourth Northampton elementary school with solar panels as well. Amherst Town Councilors voted against spending $4.74 million on a new artificial turf field at Amherst High School, citing fears over the potential for toxic contaminant PFAS. Several water systems in the area have been contaminated with the chemicals beyond safe drinking limits, including Westfield, where firefighting foam from the Air Force Base forced the town to install expensive treatment systems. The school committee decided a new track and field is necessary, but because some artificial turf utilizes PFAS chemicals, Amherst counselors decided sticking to a grass field would be better. Counselors agree the current grass field is unusable, and they'll move forward with the new field in the coming months. Monty's March wrapped up last night in Greenfield with the finish line feast at Hawks and Reed, held to celebrate the close of the annual 43-mile two-day walk from Springfield to Greenfield to help end hunger. Andrew Morehouse, executive director of the Food Bank of Western Mass. Well, our mission is to feed our neighbors in need and lead the community in hunger, and we're doing that right here because we believe everyone has a right to healthy food regardless of their circumstances. As of last night, $482,000 has been raised. The goal of $500,000, which will provide 2 million meals, will likely be surpassed as donations continue to roll in over the next few days. Mostly sunny today with a high of 44 to 48. Evening temperatures in the 30s tonight under scattered clouds, a low of 22 to 28. Mostly sunny tonight. Tomorrow, temps in the 30s, an afternoon high of 44 to 48, some rain showers on Friday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. El alcalde de Holyoke, Joshua García, junto con el presidente del Consejo Municipal de Holyoke, Todd McGee, se reunieron el viernes por la tarde en la esquina de High Street y Hamden, junto con otros oficiales de la ciudad, amistades allegadas y familiares de don Rafael Fernández, dueño de Fernández Restaurant, para develar la placa conmemorativa que da a esta calle el nuevo nombre de Fernández Way. Durante la ceremonia de despedida de este negocio local en el verano, Magui anunció que había presentado una solicitud al Consejo Municipal para nombrar esta calle como Fernández Way luego de haber escuchado las peticiones por parte de la comunidad durante el emotivo evento del 22 de julio en Veterans Park. El propio Magui fue el encargado de develar la placa con el nuevo nombre de la calle en medio de la celebración de un numeroso grupo de personas que se dieron cita para celebrar a la familia Fernández. Don Rafael se mostró contento y emocionado. Me siento muy contento, muy este, agradecido de la de Sirio Holio, de mi familia, una gran familia que tengo porque toda la gente de Holio que visitaban mis restaurantes, yo los considero como mi familia porque me, me soportaron por 34 años y estoy muy contento por todo eso y le doy gracias a Dios. Y pues, si algún día yo no estoy, mis nietos y eso, por lo menos vienen y ven el sign. Don Rafael Fernández hizo énfasis en su familia y el orgullo que siente de ella. Yo me siento bien orgulloso porque siempre hicimos una familia unida, siempre. Eso es un legado que nos dejó a nuestros padres y siempre lo hemos mantenido, la familia. Yo amo a mi familia. Si algún día muero y resucito, quiero tener la misma familia y quiero venir a vivir en Holio, donde vivo 52 años. 
Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We are so pleased to welcome back to our show Dr. Ira Helfand, who is the immediate past president of the International Physicians for Prevention of Nuclear War. He serves on the steering committee of Back from the Brink, and he is here today because I want to talk with him about, and I want you to know about the event, which is occurring a week from Sunday, December 4th, at the Drake in Amherst from 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock. Again, that's a week from Sunday, December 4th, from 5 to 7 at the Drake in Amherst. Ira Helfen, thanks so much for being with us. Let's start with the event. What is it? Why is it? Well, Bill, thanks for having me here this morning. So the event is a reception to honor some local heroes in the campaign to bring the United States back from the brink of nuclear war. Uh, back from the brink is a campaign that started here in Western Massachusetts back in 2017 and is now spread into a really growing, dynamic national effort to bring about fundamental change in U.S. nuclear policy. And we are fortunate to have some real leadership uh, here in Western Massachusetts for this campaign in, in the person of our legislative delegation. We're going to be honoring Congressman Jim McGovern, State Representative Lindsay Sabadosa, and State Senator Joe Comerford, and also Sister Mary Caritas, the former president of Mercy Medical Center in Springfield, uh, who have all played a key role in promoting this campaign and bringing it to public attention. The Name of the organization, of the movement, Back from the Brink, why is that name of such significance, and what is its import in this fight? Well, you know, for a long time after the end of the Cold War, people just stopped thinking about nuclear war. And unfortunately, the problem never went away, and it's gotten much worse in recent years, even before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Which we'll get back to in just a second. And we are literally trying to draw people's attention to the fact that we remain on the brink of nuclear war. Uh, this could happen at any moment, if not between the United States and Russia, then between the United States and China, or between India and Pakistan, or on the Korean Peninsula. And we need to pay attention to this danger. You know, there's been a tremendous upsurge of activism around the climate crisis, and totally appropriately so. This is an existential threat to human civilization. But there's a second existential threat as well, which is in some ways even more immediate, which is the danger of nuclear war, which could happen at any moment. And we need to pay attention to that as well. So this campaign is meant to draw people's attention to the great danger we face and also to point out that there is a way to step back from the brink. Uh, we do not need to have a nuclear war. We can avoid this if we take certain steps. I'm all ears. Uh, and I'm particularly interested in knowing what your thoughts are with regard to Vladimir Putin and his continued threats to use nuclear weapons in Ukraine on the battlefield. They're not ICBMs, but they are nukes and they are devastating, would be devastating uh, to those in, their, in the area where a, nuke was, a nuclear uh, device was detonated. And I, at the same time, I would appreciate your comment with regard to the nuclear plant, which is in the middle of a battle zone in Ukraine and what kind of danger that poses. Yeah, I mean, the situation in Ukraine is extraordinarily dangerous. Uh, this could escalate into a large-scale nuclear war very quickly. A lot of attention has been focused on the threat by Russia to use tactical nuclear weapons in Ukraine, which would be quite catastrophic in its own right. But I think we also need to understand that if tactical nuclear weapons are used in Ukraine, it is 
overwhelmingly likely that that would lead to further escalation and quite possibly large-scale nuclear war between the United States and Russia. And we have tended to act as though this was not something that we needed to worry about for 30 years, but in fact we do. And a study that came out in August of this year in the journal Nature showed that if there is a war between the United States and Russia, not only will it kill hundreds of millions of people in the first afternoon, but the nuclear winter which that war would cause would lead to the death of over 5 billion people in the two years after the conflict began. This is We've never faced a threat of this magnitude in all of human history. And the fact is people are beginning to pay some attention because of the war in Ukraine, but this danger is not getting anywhere near the attention which it needs to receive if we're going to do appropriate things to prevent it. Back from the brink calls on the United States to begin now negotiations with all eight of the other nuclear-armed states for a verifiable, enforceable, time-bound commitment to eliminate the remaining nuclear arsenals so they can all join the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, which was adopted at the United Nations back in 2017. I think a lot of people are concerned that you know, this just isn't the moment when, when there's a war going on. How can we even be thinking about these kind of negotiations? And I think it's important in that context to remember that right after the Cuban Missile Crisis, there was a, a, a stepping back from the brink. At that point, Kennedy and Khrushchev sat down and negotiated the Partial Test Ban Treaty. They set up the hotline. They began a dialogue to try to contain the Cold War arms race. In 1983, when events also bubbled very close to nuclear war, the same kind of reaction took place right after the crisis passed. Within a year and a half of, of the summer of 83, when we almost went to war twice, Gorbachev and Reagan sat down and said nuclear war can never be won and must never be fought. So I think there's real reason to think that the current event may sober the leadership in the United States, in Russia, in China, and lead them to take fundamentally different approach to nuclear weapons. What about North Korea? What about India and Pakistan? What about the other nuclear states? It's not just a bilateral issue or a trilateral issue, if it was between Russia, the United States, and China. There are other nuclear players who don't seem to, how to put this, share your concerns. It's not just a trilateral affair, but it's mainly a trilateral affair. If the United States, Russia, and China come to their senses and agree that their security demands the elimination of all nuclear weapons worldwide, I'm very comfortable that they can bring the other countries along with them. It's not going to be a simple process. There's going to be a complicated negotiation to address the security concerns that the North Koreans, the Pakistanis, the Israelis feel that they have. But I think there's no way in the world that these countries would be able to resist a determined effort by the United States, Russia, and China to make this a nuclear-free world. And the question is, will our leaders have that breakthrough. Gorbachev and Reagan, at the height of the Cold War, did. They got it. That no matter what the differences were between these two great countries at that point, the danger of nuclear war override over, was an overriding factor that had to be taken into account, and the nuclear threat had to be addressed. That's the situation we're in today. You know, U.S., Russia, China, all three of them are playing the same old great power game, sort of maneuvering to see who's going to end up on top of the heap, who's going to be king of the mountain. And the fact of the matter is that one or more of these countries may end up with an advantage. One of them may end up king of the mountain. But if we keep going the way we're going today, that mountain is going to be an ash heap. 
It's going to be what's left after we have destroyed human civilization. And it's in their interest, therefore, to bring about a fundamentally different approach to the way they relate to each other. We're not telling them to be nice to each other because it's a nice thing to do because it's, you know, we're not asking for kumbaya movement moment. We're telling them that as a hard-headed practical matter, they either start cooperating with each other to get rid of nuclear weapons and address the climate change, or they themselves are going to suffer terrible consequences. Are you concerned that uh, Putin has somehow normalized the potential for use of nuclear weapons through his continued invocation of that possibility in Ukraine, that it's no longer as unthinkable as it was a year ago? I think that's a very real danger of the current situation. There's been so much talk about the use of nuclear weapons by the Russians that it has become somewhat normalized. And that's something we have to resist. We have to point out to people that these are not just big bombs that will cause even more damage than the weapons already being used. People need to understand that a nuclear war is the end of civilization as we know it. It is the end of everything that we care about. And we must absolutely redraw that line in the sand and create that firewall so that nuclear weapons are taken off the table. And the only way to really guarantee that is to get rid of them. As long as they're around, there's always the possibility that we are going to get into a situation like this that we're in in Ukraine. And we have almost no control over what's going on there right now. Earlier this year, my organization, the International Physicians for Prevention of Nuclear War, coordinated a statement with 17 other Nobel Peace Prize winning organizations demanding that Russia and NATO promise not to use nuclear weapons in the current conflict. We got over a million signatures in four days on the Avaz platform. We submitted this statement to the Russians and to NATO and didn't even get a response from them. We have very limited ability to control what's happening on the field today. And that makes it all the more important to make sure, once this crisis is over, that we're never in this situation again, which means that we get rid of all nuclear weapons. We are speaking with Ira Helfen. He is the immediate past president and one of the founders of Physicians for Prevention, International Physicians for the Prevention of Nuclear War. He serves on the steering committee of Back from the Brink. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation to see if we have hope on this upcoming holiday season. We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Business West. The vital business news in Western Mass is in Business West. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. Drink, 
At American National, we understand the tried and true farm and ranch lifestyle, and what's important to you is important to us. You deserve an insurance plan custom made to meet all the specific needs of your agribusiness operation. American National offers flexible farm and ranch policies with package options to help better protect your livelihood. We're right by your side. For more information and to connect with a local American National agent, just visit AmericanNational.com. American National Property and Casualty Company and Affiliates, Springfield, Missouri. Life moves fast and kids move at the speed of life. Well, Franklin First is here to help you and your kids stay in control. With Franklin First Federal Credit Union's Teen Checking Program, your teen can manage their money and stay on the go while you enjoy peace of mind. Conditions apply, so see your Franklin First professional for details and requirements. Or start at franklinfirst.org. Franklin First Federal Credit Union, member NCUA. If your Spanish-speaking employees spoke better English, would that be good for business? If your English-speaking employees spoke a little Spanish, would that be good for business? The International Language Institute delivers workplace language training, improving communication among coworkers and with customers. You get financial assistance with the Massachusetts Workplace Training Express Fund. They cover 50 to 100% of the cost. So let's get going. Call or email the International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. I guess I called AA because alcohol didn't work anymore. Drinking used to give me a sense of meaning in life. I called AA not knowing what to expect, certainly not cheerfulness, but that's what I got. People had humor. They seemed to be at ease. I hung around. Now I feel much more comfortable with myself and the people around me. Alcoholics Anonymous. It works. Look us up. Online and in-person meetings. For more, call 413-532-2111 or visit westernmassaa.org. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday local burgers and fries? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Local burgers and fries, spiked milkshakes and more. It's not fast food, it's good food. Fast. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Ira Helfand, who is the immediate past president of International Physicians for the Prevention of Nuclear War and serves on the steering committee of Back from the Brink. We've been talking about the uh, unimaginable but needing to be imagined threats posed by the nuclear arsenals that are in the hands of Russia and the United States and China in Israel and France and North Korea, among others. And the part of this that is, is the most, I think, discouraging to me is that it seems like such a daunting and uh, almost unimaginable uh, uh, problem uh, and one that seems just uh, unsolvable. And I don't mean to be uh, depressive, depressed about it. I don't mean to give up about it, but it really makes me want to ask you the question, Ira, what can we do? Yeah, I think it's important to understand this is not a gigantic problem. It's a big problem. Climate change is a gigantic problem. It's going to require all of us to change the way we live. It's going to require a complete reconfiguration of the global economy. Nuclear abolition is much simpler. There are 13,000 nuclear warheads in the world. They're little machines. They're about the size of the chairs we sit in at our desks. 
We know exactly how to take them apart. We've already dismantled more than 60,000 of them. And it's simply a matter of summoning the political will to dismantle the 13,000 that remain. It's a very small, discrete problem in some ways. I feel so much better. Thank well, you. <laughs> you should. Because, you know, we have every reason to expect that we can get rid of these weapons. But we're going to have to mobilize the political will to do that. And so here in the United States, we've launched the Back from the Brink campaign here in Western Massachusetts. It's now spread nationally and um, has picked up an enormous amount of momentum. This campaign has been endorsed by cities across the country, Boston, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Washington, Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Minneapolis, Milwaukee, St. Paul, Salt Lake City, Tucson. It's been endorsed by seven state legislative bodies, by over 300 local elective officials, by experts like former Secretary of Defense William Perry and late Secretary, former Secretary of State George Shultz. Uh, there's a resolution that's been introduced in the Congress by Congressman Jim McGovern, uh, HRES 1185, which now has 11 co-sponsors, including Congressman Richie Neal. And this campaign is growing. It's modeled on the freeze campaign from the 1980s, which really brought about fundamental change in U.S. nuclear policy. And I see no reason to think that we can't do again what we've already done once before. We can mobilize people and bring about that fundamental change. Well, in that regard, I would like you to go back to a phrase you used in our first segment, which was the remaining nuclear arsenals. There has been, tell me if I'm wrong, uh, but I might understand we have had an enormous reduction in the actual number of nuclear weapons and devices that are in the hands of particularly Russia and the United States. What happened to that as a movement? Why did that come to apparently a screeching halt? The Cold War ended, basically. You know, during the Cold War period, people were very concerned about this problem, and they put great pressure on the governments of the United States and the Soviet Union. At the to reduce our arsenals. To reduce our arsenals. At the Wh which we did. There, there was, yeah, there were 60,000 nuclear warheads in the U.S. and Soviet arsenals. 60,000. That's now down to about 12,000. It's a very significant reduction. The problem is that the weapons that remain still have the ability to destroy human civilization many times over. And so we need to take that final step. We need to get rid of them completely. And in this situation, I think the United States is going to have to play a leadership role. In the 80s, it actually was the Soviet Union and the person of Gorbachev who really drove the process. But today, I think leadership is going to have to come from the United States. And that means that people are going to have to organize themselves to put pressure on our government, to give them permission, to give them room to take the steps they need to take, and to push them to take those steps if they're not moving fast enough. We're going to be having this event at the Drake a week from Sunday, uh, from 5 to 7, that's at 44 North Pleasant Street in Amherst, to honor Congressman O'Neill, excuse me, Congressman McGovern, uh, Representative Sabadosa, State Senator uh, Comerford, and Sister Mary Caritas for the role they've played in building this movement. And we hope people will join us. Uh, it's from 5 to 7 again on Sunday, uh, December 4th, at the Drake in, North, in Amherst. And open to the public? Open to the public. And free? It is free. It's a fundraising event, but admission is free. If people would like to make a contribution, we would love to receive it. Okay. So, Ira, we have about a minute left, a little more. I want you to, on this day in particular, to give me reasons to have hope as to why Back from the Brink succeeds. Because it has to. Because people understand and are increasingly understanding that unless we get rid of these weapons, 
bad things are going to happen, but that we can get rid of these weapons. It is not like we are dealing with a force of nature. It is not like there's an asteroid coming at the planet. These machines we've built with our own hands, we know how to take them apart, and we're going to do it. And I would point out in the last seconds we have left that this isn't a matter of thinking that the Russians or the Chinese uh, or other states are good people with everyone's goodwill in, in the, at the forefront of their minds and hearts, but it's in their self-interest. Exactly. And this is not calling for unilateral U.S. disarmament. It's calling for the U.S. to negotiate a very tough agreement with verification and enforcement provisions with these other countries, an agreement that is in all of their best interest. Again, the event is at the Drake, a week from Sunday, December 4th from 5 to 7 o'clock. Ira Helfen, thank you so much for all you do for all of us. Thanks for having me on this morning. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Don't you understand what I'm trying to say? Can't you feel the fears I'm feeling today? If the button is pushed, there's no running away. There'll be no one to save. Will the world in a grave take a look around you, boy? To play this game, you've got to be as sharp as a blade, as quick as a one-timer, as tough as plexiglass. Oh, and having a solid dental plan? That's probably a good idea, too. Hit the ice all season long right here on the UMass Sports Network. 1015, 1400, and 1240 WHMP. Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with a range of social and volunteer opportunities as well as services and support for members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. We're about engaging Live in place. Local this news place. And talk Find for us Northampton online and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station.